Welcome to Game of Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham. Scott is alongside, as always. Hello, Scott. Sean, hey, uh, happy to be here. So, last week, of course, we talked about stuff to do in the summer. Now, as we get closer and closer to curling season, time to really refocus in on what uh, what we're all about here is a curling. And uh, we want to talk this week, you know, we talked a couple weeks about the Curling World Cup. Want to get into it a little bit more as we've had more announcements on who is going to be there. So we want to get into it a little bit in, in more in depth. And, of course, more specifically, the United States team, the plural, were announced uh, recently. So, Scott, what do we got here from our American friends? Well, Sean, they, they've announced who's going to play in all three of these World Cup events, starting first with the, the event in, in China in September. Uh, for the women's side, we've got uh, Team Nina Roth, the Olympic uh, participants for Team USA. So not much of a surprise there. And for the men, we've got uh, somewhat of a new team. Croy uh, Nurnberger is skipping. It, it's a team that they lost some players or two other players can't go. Right. And so as a result, uh, Greg Persinger... Uh, is going to join the team, uh, and one other player from his team is coming in to to round out the team, I guess, for this well, so, event. So what I'm seeing here is you have uh, Rich Ruohin, as we always say his name wrong, and we apologize to Rich for that, uh, as the skip with Greg Persinger throwing fourth, joined by Croy Nuremberger and Sean Baton as the front-end players with Colin Huffman and Phil Tilker not being able to participate. Right, right, that's it. So that's what we have there. So so Greg is going to throw fourth with Rich skipping with the new front end for this event. So it'll be a little different from what we saw from these these guys at the World Championships out in Vegas. Yeah, a little bit, uh, little bit different. So we'll see what happens with this. I, I don't think that there's any real surprise about who this who these teams are maybe a bit that John Schuster's team is not going but uh, they'll be participating later in the calendar for sure they'll definitely be part of this and I think it's smart to send these teams or at least to send the the Rowan Persinger Persinger team there they are your defending national champions certainly part of that is because John Schuster wasn't there but they're your defending national champions and that is I think a great way to get the USA team started. Now that being said, Nina Roth going doesn't fit into that category as your most recent national champion because they were the Olympic team and of course we saw Jamie Sinclair in North Bay. So I'm a little surprised that USA currently is going with Nina Roth and not with Jamie Sinclair on this one. Now there's a lot of reasons why this could be. Certainly work commitments play into this for pretty much all the North American teams uh, and maybe even a little more so for the American teams and the Canadian teams but I find that surprising that it's not Jamie Sinclair well I, I agree with you Jamie Sinclair will be going to the second leg I, I believe in Omaha and will be the team representing the United States at that event and John Schuster will be the men's team so 
they're taking a bit of a page out of the Canadians book, uh, sending different representatives to each event. Uh, there was no, in their announcement, there was no explanation about why. It was just sort of a saying, these are the teams that are going. So that's uh, that, that's good enough for me. At least uh, they're getting a chance to go. Right, but the thing for me is, is maybe when we look at it then, is it possible that USA Curling is situating themselves so that their best teams are in Omaha, recognizing that the two teams that Canada is sending to that event, as we talked about a few weeks ago, and Jason Gunlison and Tracy Fleury, great teams, but certainly not the strongest teams that Canada has, owing to the Canada Cup taking place at the same time. Is this a sign from USA Curling that they feel as though John Schuster and Jamie Sinclair are their best chances to win? They're sending them to the event at home in Omaha in a field that is missing, arguably, the top teams from Canada who would obviously be favorites going into it. I definitely think uh, you're right that it's uh, they're, they're seeing it as their chance to play their best teams and come out with the best result they can. You know, they're playing at home. Uh, they're playing with with what are right now their best teams, and they're playing against a field that might be a little reduced in in quality. Plus, they're trying to get as many fans to go to this, this event in Omaha as possible, right? Yeah. So bring out your big stars, uh, your gold medal winners, uh, and bring out your young team, young, exciting women's team, that uh, just played in a bronze medal game or won a bronze medal at the at the World Championships. Yeah, and had a great showing there. So certainly USA Curling has to be encouraged about that. And I know being around some of the folks at USA Curling back at the Continental Cup when it was in London last year, there were doubts about Nina Roth within USA Curling. Mm-hmm. And it was obvious uh, and, and that they were not really sure what they were going to get that that team was internally, the four of them, very disappointed at what happened back in 2014 mm-hmm. in Sochi. Mm-hmm. And there was doubt as to whether or not the, the four of them could improve on what happened in Sochi. They improved from what happened in Sochi because they finished last there. They didn't finish last this year over in South Korea, but obviously a disappointing finish. And those doubts that that were obvious to me mm-hmm. in talking to folks at USA Curling would simply be exacerbated by that experience. And y- you you get the sense now that based off of that, plus Jamie Sinclair's really solid performance in North Bay, even if we don't necessarily think that the playoff structure is such that she should have even made the playoffs, but fine, whatever. <laughs> but whatever, yeah. She made the playoffs, and she did very well in the playoffs. But it seems as though perhaps USA Curling is now lining themselves up behind Jamie Sinclair's team as we go into this next four-year cycle. Right. And we've seen USA Curling do this before. They did it after the 2014 games where they didn't line up behind John Schuster's team. Right. And John Schuster lost his funding, and he really had to fight for it. Uh, and he did uh, in a lot of ways, just even the physical transformation mm-hmm. of John Schuster. So you wonder now if USA Curling is doing going to do the same with Jamie Sinclair. Obviously, you want to have a second team, and I don't think Nina Roth is going to go away, and I'm sure she's still going to get support, but it seems as though 
USA Curling would situate themselves in a way to be in the best position to win in Omaha at mm-hmm. that event. And having Jamie Sinclair seems like a very clear sign to me that she is sort of the one for USA Curling, that they're going to put more resources, more support into that team than Nina Roth. Yeah, and so in looking at the the high-performance program that uh, was announced for the 2018-2019 season, there are the three women's teams uh, that are participating in that. So Nina Roth is going to the first one, Jamie Sinclair is going to the second, and Corey Christensen's team uh, will be going to the third leg of the, the Curling World Cup. So it looks as though they're... Uh, giving all three of these teams a chance to participate in this really unique event. Which and is really smart. I, I, especially, of course. you know, first year coming out of the Olympics, you're going into now this four-year cycle. USA Curling, you know that they want to capitalize on what John Schuster's team did. Yeah, So they're absolutely. going to be, John Schuster's going to be front and center. But now that there is some expectation for the curling program in the United States... The women's side has not done particularly well recently. No. So that's no. the side that, for USA Curling, you really want to build that up because you can't really count on the Schuster team maybe even staying together for four years. We've already had the one change. Tyler right. George is already gone. Yeah. So you don't know where it's going to be in the men's program in four years. So now you have young teams on the women's side. Obviously, you want to get them all experience, exposure in a big event like this playing against top teams in the world, Arena Ice. Yep. Certainly for uh, the third team, they get to travel overseas. I don't know how much they've traveled in their careers. So this is going to be a great experience for them. And it, it seems like, you know, we, we didn't really talk about this when we talked about the World Cup a couple weeks ago, but it seems to me that for the American teams, this is maybe the biggest advantage to them or, or, or the biggest thing for them. The other teams that are going to play in this, we'll talk about Sweden in a minute, but they get to play on arena ice a lot. These mm-hmm. American teams don't, right? They don't qualify for as many Grand Slams as teams from certainly the Swedish teams, the British teams. Yeah, the, the top-level teams, you're right, are playing every week on tour no matter what. And, and of these American teams, it's maybe one or two. Not It's not always all three of these teams that are funded that are going to those Grand Slam events. So. Yeah, so here's another event that they can get to play in, and because of the nature of what it is, I, I get the sense that USA Curling is going to be more supportive of it. Right, so, right. So, y- you know, hopefully for USA Curling, for these teams themselves, it, it's a way to build the sport and to, to build on the, the, the growth that we've seen in the women's program mm-hmm. there, which has improved, but based on the results that we've seen at Olympics, at least, which is really what most people focus on. And currently now, the results haven't been there. No, and and you're right. uh, The results haven't been there. So maybe this will be a chance to, like you say, build the game. And it's an extra three or four, hopefully for the U.S., four events Mm -hmm. uh, in the season uh, that will, you know, uh, lay the foundation for this four-year cycle. The other consideration when talking about which of these teams are going is that the mixed doubles takes place at the same time. And a lot of these athletes uh, that are on the men's and women's teams also play mixed doubles. So in the first leg, uh, Sarah Anderson and Corey Dropkin are are the mixed doubles team. They're the defending American champions. That'll be going. And Sarah Anderson plays on uh, Jamie Sinclair's team this year. And Corey Dropkin 
is the uh, the skip that throws second stones for his own team that will be going to the third leg of the World Cup. So in all three of these uh, cases, you have players that are playing one event as the four-person team and one event as mixed doubles, with the exception of Joe Polo, who's a, an exclusively mixed doubles player, mm. but uh, was the fifth for Team Schuster at the Olympics. Right. So obviously great experience with that. And uh, so I assume we're going to see the Hamiltons together then at that third event. At the third event, in, yeah. In Sweden, if, if Schuster's playing that second event. So, yeah, you're right. So for most, for some of these players, at least you get to play in two of these. Right. Certainly great, great opportunity there for some, some growth and development of the sport with USA Curling. With that being said, though, I think for, for some people, it certainly I, I would imagine your casual fans uh, would expect that the United States is going to be competitive in this event, would certainly make it to that fourth event, I think would be an expectation. Sure. But what would you expect from USA Curling going into this event? I I would hope that their expectations are to make the playoffs uh, at at least one, if not two, of of all of these events, um, especially in the women's field. I think that should be a real goal uh, is to get in the playoffs. I think they've got a great chance in Omaha uh, to get on on the podium, make uh, make some good money for the team, mm-hmm. and uh, to be to be fair, like they should expect to be playing in that final leg. They should absolutely, yeah. and we, I mean we talked about the way it's going to be selected. They should get there one way or the other. If they're not there in that last leg, I would say it's a huge disappointment for USA Curling. Yes, uh, that that they would not be there. Uh, and it might even further concentrate resources, actually. Right. If they're not, so hopefully that that they can be there. And and I would, I'll even go so far as to say, if either the men or the women aren't in a final, uh, spe- specifically the final out in Omaha, I think that would be a, a great disappointment to USA Curling. I I, I yeah. really think that on home ice. With those two teams there, given the the way the field is going to be, the, they're looking for a final. Yeah, absolutely. And so I know I know that uh, in qualifying for that fourth leg, it's the the winners of each of the first three legs, right? So it would be great if USA could qualify based on that. Then the world champion spots. We have Canada for the women, Sweden for the men. I don't remember Switzerland maybe for mixed doubles. I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember either. And then, uh, then there's invited by the World Curling Federation. There's a spot for that. So should the USA fail to qualify through any one of those first methods, I have to imagine that Team Schuster would be invited by the World Curling Federation. I mean, barring something unforeseen where, like, uh, some great team doesn't make it, uh, maybe, like, let's say Canada doesn't win any of them, I'm sure that they would invite... A Canadian team, but there's also spots for the highest ranked remaining teams that should be able to sneak Canada in there. So, uh, I would say, like, if, if USA doesn't make at least uh, at least the invited spot, that would be a big, uh, a big, big, yeah. big shock. Yeah, and you're right. Uh, so <coughs> Switzerland did, of course, win the mixed doubles uh, World Curling Championship this this season. So, yeah. As, but as we move forward, then uh, let's let's talk move on then talking about Sweden and we know certainly 
that there are two teams, really, for yes. Sweden. Yes. Uh, Anna Hasselberg, the defending Olympic champion and world silver medalist, and Nick Edin for the men, the defending world champion and Olympic silver medalist, uh, as they couldn't quite coordinate. Uh, yeah, not the, quite. Not the quite. gold medals, but great seasons for both teams. They'll be in China, the, the two teams there. We know for sure Anna Hasselberg uh, will be playing in the event in Sweden. We know that, that uh, she's talked about how she's looking forward to that event. So are we, we haven't seen a formal announcement yet for what, at least that we haven't seen yet, about what Sweden is doing. But based on the sort of anecdotal evidence, looks as though it might be Eden and Hasselberg for all the events. Yeah, looking at Wikipedia, which is the... Uh, top-notch source absolutely i know you tell your students that uh definitely <laughs> cite wikipedia but uh they they've got anna hasselberg and nicodine here as the teams confirmed for the first leg and there was a facebook post in swedish uh extra extra har ar de tre uh yeah. I, I don't think i should uh, continue <laughs> but uh basically uh, i think it confirmed that would be the team and then Team uh, Westman and Alberg will be the mixed doubles team. Okay. Uh, they they weren't the you the Swedish team at this year's World Championships. I just checked, but uh, we'll see we'll see uh, how that goes. So that should be fun. Yeah, for sure. And and it's one of these things where you wondered going into it if they were going to uh, try to get some new teams, some experience in the world stage, but for these these types of events, you really do want to send your best. And we do know that Sweden has cut back on their funding for curling. So yes, you might not be able to actually send another team. And I'm sure Nicky Dean and his team, at least a little bit, is paying for this themselves. Yeah, I mean, if you're sending, if if you only really have one team of each gender, you got to send your best and. Sweden wants uh, to, to show well at these events, and obviously they want Nicodine and Anna Hasselberg to be there for the event in Jönköping. Uh, <laughs> so so I, I'd imagine this signals that they would be there at all three. They might, uh, for the third leg, or uh, for the second leg, decide not to uh, send those teams, but I can't imagine why they wouldn't. They're already going to be in North America. Yeah, there's no point in sending somebody else over to do it. And certainly for that last event, you're going to put your best teams there. Yeah, exactly. As well. Yeah. So if they're going to China, it's it's very likely that they'll be the the team for all three. And that's something we we wondered going into it what some countries would do. Obviously, the Americans and the Canadians have decided different teams at each event. Yes. And the the Swedish have decided to send the same team, which is understandable, and I get it. I'm really curious to see some of the other countries who are at least associated with only having really one team. You know, I wonder, like, if Peter de Cruz, for instance, is going to play in all three of these. Mm. What about Eve Muirhead? What happens there? The men's side in Great Britain, we talked about them a couple weeks ago. Yeah. What happens with, with those teams? So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how these teams and these countries decide to structure their rosters going into these these events yeah absolutely i mean it's it's gonna be different for everyone and 
we'll have to wait and see what happens. But uh, like you said, more curling is never bad, right? Absolutely. Never so, bad. Uh, so I do want to talk about this though. With with now that we know the rosters, one of the things we didn't talk about when we talked about the events was the amount of money that is going to the winners for this because I find this really fascinating to me. So in the first three legs, which are, let's call them the preliminary legs, for the men's and women's games, you will get $1,500 for each win in the event. And then, uh, so that is a total for $18,000 in the round robin. Is available to be one. In total, okay. And then in the playoffs, $20,000 goes to the winner. Mm-hmm. $10,000 goes to the runner-up. And that's it. Right. So so there's only $30,000 available for, the, for all the playoffs. the playoffs. That's what, that, that's what this says. Uh, and then you have a total of $66,000 per discipline. So... That's a total of one hundred twenty. What? Well, no, so one hundred thirty-two thousand dollars for the men's and women's. I don't really know how this adds up because they're giving me eighteen thousand dollars for the round robin. Well, that's per group, excuse me. So, uh, per group. So okay. you got two groups. So there you go. That's uh, how that adds up. And so one hundred and thirty-two thousand dollars for that. The mixed doubles side basically cut everything in half. Yeah, uh, right. Because yeah, as many players, so seven hundred fifty bucks per round robin win. $10,000 to the winner, $5,000 to the runner-up. And then in the playoffs, basically everything doubles. In the grand final. Excuse me, yeah, sorry. The grand final, everything doubles. So in the men's and women's, $3,000 for a round-robin win, $36,000 per group available, $27,000, so actually, excuse me, not doubling for the, the, the finalists here, $27,000 to win the grand final, $13,000 for the runner-up grand total of $112,000 going up per discipline. Per discipline. So if you add that up, that's 100, it's called 100 or 225,000 plus mm. the roughly what uh, 132 130. times 3, that's 3 396. Say 396 plus 2. So we're and then you add this that the mixed doubles. So we're looking at what, like seven hundred, seven hundred, seven hundred fifty thousand dollars as the total yeah. investment for prize money for this. Now it doesn't say what currency this is, uh, does it? Oh, excuse me. Yes, American. It's in dollars. It's yeah. in American dollars. Yes, which is uh, good for most of the players. Yeah, uh, not all. Not not great for the Europeans, right? Uh, not no, but I mean for the Chinese players. Uh, I guess their their currency is that's more than pretty good. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, and certainly the Canadian teams always like to be paid in American dollars as well. I don't know. So in looking at this, Scott, is this? More than you expected, less than you expected, what you expected for prize money? Um, it's more than I'd, I'd expected, to be honest. It's it's a lot of money. Uh, for the teams that are able to go to this, like for these Swedish teams that are probably going to play in all three events and have a very good chance of coming first or second in any of them, they have a chance to make as much money as they would make on the tour in the whole season, right, in, in four events. So... Uh, I don't know if this competition is designed to maybe get these teams off the road so much. Maybe that's what it'll accomplish. I'm not sure. It, it does seem like quite a lot, though, right? 
it certainly does seem like a lot of money. There, there's absolutely no doubt about that. But the thing that I wonder in, in looking at the amount of money, I wonder how much the federations, the national associations, are going to be contributing to sending these teams there in terms of the cost and then the mm-hmm. way the income comes in, just how it all works. Because a team like Nick Eden has been very open about how the cuts in mm-hmm. the Swedish, really the whole Olympic uh, committee really there, hurt, has, yeah. has really hurt them. So how does it work on these events? I know at a world championship or a Briar or Scotties, whatever, the teams get to keep the money that they win. Uh, but I, I just wonder about, here we have an event where not only you're not winning a spot to get there right so you are selected at least in north america they're being selected by the national associations to go Mm. and potentially win all this money so So, yeah so how much goes to the association right right? and and could you make an argument then that the teams that get selected are in in a even an unfair given an unfair advantage over their other teams now you could say well you win a you go to the world right. championship, you get a bunch of money too, but you won that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? You, you haven't won a spot in this. You, you've, it's been given to you because of your performance, yes, but you haven't actually won it. It's not really an open competition to see who goes. Right. And then you have the opportunity to win $20,000, which is a significant amount of money mm-hmm. in a, a curling season. So I just wonder as to how that'll all work. Right, the, the sort of politics behind it, yeah. right? Maybe... Because they're competing under the flag, all that money comes back and goes into the high performance program, which is then divided evenly amongst all the teams. Right. But then you say, well, why should Team X benefit from the winnings of Team Y, right? For sure. So, yeah, I can see this uh, maybe being a question. Yeah, and I think in the Canadian context, certainly it's that second event. It's that Omaha event mm-hmm. where Jason Gunless and Tracy Fleury have been selected. That's the one that's really curious. You can make a pretty easy case, fine. Olympic rep, world champions, sure. fine. They won something, they get to go. It's that middle one where you're going to take teams who aren't at the Canada Cup and pick out of them. You you just sort of wonder how that decision was made. Mm-hmm. It's hard to argue against the two picks that they made, but it does call into some question sort of that process, who's going to benefit from it, particularly if they win a bunch of money, how does that sort of manifest itself? Does it get distributed? And even with the the two other teams or the four other teams that go, how does that ultimately impact the overall scope of curling in this country? Because if one of these teams wins, an extra $20,000 can go a pretty long way over the course of a season. Uh, And not even in, maybe not even just in the money that you win. If you're in this event, Certainly, it seems like Kevin Cooey, Rachel Holman, they don't really have as much trouble getting sponsors, but Jason Gunless and Tracy Fleury, they're going to play in this international event as a Canadian representative. Certainly, that had to help their sponsorship drives sure. for this season. So it's not just what you win, it's the extra exposure you get in terms of advertising, sponsorships, maybe even social media activity that can be generated from this. It's a, it seems to me that it's a significant boost to these teams without really much transparency in how the teams were selected. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there was a good article uh, 
I'm trying to find it here, but uh, somebody tweeted it um, about how the teams were selected and how. Uh, I think I retweeted it at some point, but it was about uh, the point system, how it, it got changed for this upcoming season because there was so much movement with the teams. Yeah, for and sure. uh, under those uh, under those rules, the uh, both the team Flurry and team Gunlickson would have qualified for the Canada Cup or did receive invitations to the Canada Cup. Right now, presumably because they were given these spots in the in the World Cup, they've uh, they're going to decline their invites to the Canada Cup, right? So, uh, but but yeah, there isn't a lot of transparency behind how the spots were decided, whether they whether Curling Canada asked some of the teams that were higher up uh, in in the rankings and they declined because they wanted to play in the Canada Cup. Mm-hmm. Who knows? So. Uh, I understand what what you're talking about here, and and maybe a maybe a good curling reporter <laughs> would uh, would be able to go and find out, you know, find out some of those details. Yeah. So the article, if you're wondering, is curlingiq.ca that posted it. Curling so, IQ. So shout out to Curling IQ. Uh, it's just called 2018 Canada Cup: Understanding the Rankings Used in the Decision to Expand the Field. Right. And it's a real good breakdown of to when teams broke up, how the points were allocated between yes. the players. It's a really good discussion for that Canada Cup, and like you say, Tracy Fleury, Jason Gunnison would have qualified. They would have for yes, it, but yes. it seems as though they won't be there now because uh, they're playing in Omaha. So, yeah, I, I think I, I'm, I'll be curious to see as to I don't know if Devin Hero, as we say, a curling reporter. It's really Devin Hero who's sort of the main reporter right. on the curling beat. It seems. I'm curious to see if he'll be in China. I would be surprised, to be honest. Mm-hmm. If he goes to China, I would be... CFL playoffs around that time, That's Sean, true, so. yes, yes. Um, but I'd be much less surprised uh, for him to see him at the Grand Slams. Right. Uh, certainly right. In, the, in the Canada Cup itself. I wonder if it'll come up, uh, or even if he would take a side trip out to Omaha for that, yeah. uh, for that event. But... It's one of these questions that, given the amount of money that's in play, the amount of exposure that's available to these teams, it seems like something that hasn't really been discussed as much as I might have expected. No, you're right. You're right. Uh, it's definitely a question. Yeah, definitely a question. Now, are, are you finished with that topic? Do yes, you I am. Add more? I'm done with the amount of money the teams are going to be getting. Okay. Uh, it's not couth. It's uncouth it's, to talk about money. It's, un, it's very uncouth. Yes, and do I'm you, a couth individual. Do you want to hear a fun story then about... Uh, an Olympic curler and a piece of hardware? Absolutely, I do. Okay, so uh, just on a lighter side to wrap things up here today, uh, there was a, an article uh, posted uh, on Twitter there about uh, Team Schuster's lead, uh, who, John Landsteiner. John Landsteiner, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he was out in California, went for a night swim. Uh, out at Huntington Beach and took his Olympic ring off, was handing it to his wife and dropped it. <laughs> he had his friends. Everybody was looking for it for an hour. They couldn't find it. Uh, according to Landsteiner, some tears were shed. <laughs> and he's not the most expressive individual on the ice, so I can imagine this brought up a lot of emotions for him if he's to the point of tears, thinking he's never going to get his Olympic ring back. That's so terrible. Turns out he got a phone call from a KTLA reporter, said that someone found his ring on the beach, and it's Leon Jones, also known as Dr. Rings and Things. hey He goes out on the beach, he scans with a metal detector uh, all the time, happened to find this ring, 
knew the name because he'd watched the Olympic curling, Grace. recognized Jan- John Landsteiner, Landsteiner's name. Which is, let's just say that's interesting because if you're a new curling fan and you're watching for the first time, you know, at least in Canada here, the way we cover it, you don't really see a lot of the lead no, stones. No, so. and to be honest, at the Olympics even, uh, you know, yeah. they, they like stay commercial for uh, the lead stones. But yeah, that's why you got to watch on the feeds. Yeah, but he managed to, uh, he remembered uh, this guy, tracked them down with the help of this reporter. Uh, he's going to be able to give them back the ring. The Landsteiners are going out to uh, California and probably going to take this Dr. Rings and things out for a nice uh, nice dinner to this thank This is where him. you get the market price <laughs> on, the, on the lobster if you're Dr. Rings and things. Sure. Yeah, you got to go for market price. Absolutely. Right? You gotta so, go yeah, it's a nice uh, uplifting story that uh, the ring is not lost. Which is very good. Of course, the question is, why is he wearing it on the beach? Well, listen, you just got to wear it all the time, and it's a spur-of-the-moment thing to go for a I guess night swim. Okay, so here's the question. So if John Landsteiner is on the beach, do you think he took his watch off before he went to the beach? Well, I think they were out for dinner and decided, oh, let's go for a night swim. It's going to be fun. <laughs> I don't know. I don't but know. But you take your watch off. You, you like If you go to the beach, you're probably like, oh, I'm going to take my watch off. When, leave it in the car? Yeah, or something. Uh, you think you take the ring off, too. Uh, it just seems interesting to me. But, hey, maybe, maybe maybe he doesn't wear a watch. Or maybe he just hasn't taken the ring off since he got it. Yeah, that's fair. And he's just living the dream as an Olympic champion. Yep, and uh, so he should be. Absolutely. So a happy ending to that story there. Uh, and and uh, a good job by Dr. Rings and Things. Yeah. Curling fan, recognized what it was. Recognize the name, so... Uh, and he's not asking for money. He just wants to make sure... A lobster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, going for some surf and turf, and uh, no, I'm sure the Landsteiners will set him up very nicely yeah. when they uh, when they get together. Up Shake there his hand, give him a photo op, and uh, that'll be that. Yeah, I'm sure the gold medal will be involved at some point there. Um, of course, if that gets lost on the beach, <laughs> you might have a harder time getting that one back. I don't know. Yeah, that one don't take to the beach. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. So, uh, so a good story there. Um, and so as we look forward now to next week, we'll be back with an episode where we'll look at some of the team schedules that have started to be released. Really interesting how some of these teams have broken up their schedules, where they're going to be, when, which events they're going to play and which ones they're not going to play. In. So we'll be back to sort of break down what it takes to put together a curling schedule at the elite level and look at some of the decisions that some of them are actually kind of curious to me, uh, but a lot of them also make sense from just a logistical standpoint. So we'll be back to look at that because the curling season is not too far off. It may be still hot and uh, somewhat gross here in the nation's capital, but the curling season is not far off. So when we come back next week, that's what we'll be talking about but in the interim if you have not yet please do subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast give us a rating and a like and all that kind of fun stuff you can find us on twitter at game of stones pod scott is at scott likes tv i am at dr shawnee fever you can also email the show at game of stones podcast at gmail.com so until we talk to you next week keep your brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern